Hello and welcome to School Growth Mastery, produced by Enroll Hand, where we help schools, preschools, colleges and universities find their voice, connect with their ideal parents and grow their enrollment. We will bring on a diverse list of guests from school heads, admissions officers, marketing experts, parents and more, each with a unique insight into how you should grow your school in this changing landscape. Thank you for listening. episode, I'm joined by Justin, Director of Learning, Innovation and Technology at York School in Toronto, Canada, Apple Distinguished Educator, Google Certified Innovator and Co-Founder of Cohort 21. If you want to learn about technology in school, he's your guy. We talk about the York School, how it positioned itself as an innovator early in the game and how you can start integrating technology and innovation in your value proposition today. A more tech-enabled school signals parents that you prepare their kids for a brave new world. Needless to say, this results in school growth. Here's Justin. The York School uh, was the first one-to-one laptop school in Canada, or one of the first. And so in 1998, they uh, started that road. And I, along with the first tech director, Diane Dowman, we kind of charted the course um, for its evolution and have been at it for, you know, now we're looking at, you know, 20 years um, of one-to-one uh, learning or learning and leading and learning with technology. And uh, when she retired, I kind of took over that role and have evolved it um, to kind of where we are now uh, in, uh, in, in the Canadian kind of independent school landscape. And they had decided as a, as a kind of value proposition and kind of strategic market uh, orientation to, and philosophically also that they saw that technology would play an important role in the, in the teaching and learning environment. And so that was very new and, you know, uh, also progressive in the sense that it wasn't widely understood and, uh, it was also expensive for the average parent who had to kind of uh, say yes to this uh, school experience for their sons and daughters. Uh, and that early kind of confidence and I guess willingness to to make that a very key differentiator amongst other independent schools uh, set the York School on a course where it now sees itself you know, 20 years in you know, having seen many uh, of the kind of pedagogical practices that go along with those tools now kind of formally adopted into the culture of, of you know, and the fabric of our school. So, you know, if you look back into those times, whether it was just early access to the internet and, and how that changed the way research or, or kind of inquiry might have happened to how students ended up, you know, authentically um, demonstrating their learning, whether it be in the early days, blogs and wikis and, and all these kinds of things to now, you know, we see ourselves in the landscape where video or the Google apps or uh, all kinds of different um, tools are available to students to allow them to express themselves. Um, and as well, you know, school and what um, I guess is the infrastructure that connects it all 
has changed dramatically too, as far as systems go and missions, enrollment, advancement, and how much now we need data and we use data to inform ourselves about learning, but also other aspects of school um, operations. So you said a lot there. So uh, for, first thing you said that was that caught my attention, and I'm, I'm having kind of a point of view of how can we get other schools who did not start with technology 20 years ago, how can we get them to, to move into that direction faster? Uh, you said, you know, you first got had a lot of equipment and then gradually you were able to imb- imbue the school with the right culture to go with that. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So I think it, there was a, a very well understood why, or at least at the leadership level, uh, in the early days of the York School, the that tech director that I mentioned before, she, along with the other learning leaders, head of school and kind of middle and lower and senior division kind of leads, all uniformly understood, or at least you united uh, behind the idea that technology should and would play an important role of the York school education. And so the why I think at that stage was very clearly understood and also shared. So they believe that a York school classroom should on some level reflect the world that existed outside of it, that mobile technology and learning with technology was not going away. And so we as a institution needed to uh, figure out where it belonged in, in the, you know, tried and tried and tested traditions of the past, but also acknowledge that new pedagogy needed to be kind of crafted and woven into the, the way that uh, our school operated it to, if only to just try to keep up um, with the changing landscape of the world um, as computers, of course, we all use on a daily basis. And so that strong acknowledgement that a classroom should in some way adopt the same tools that the world outside of it uh, are using all the time. And you mentioned also that, you know, the school leadership team felt this imperative to adapt to the times, but it was also at the same time a change in value proposition. They recognized that technology in the classroom is something that the parents and the families would want, and they wanted to position the school that way. That's right. And so as as, as a key differentiator in a very busy market uh, with about 10 uh, independent schools around the York school within five kilometers, really, uh, all slightly different in their offerings, but also very similar. Um, and so as a way of differentiating themselves, they use that as a lever to, cause they were the first, uh, in Toronto to kind of go down this road. And it was part of the brand at that time to kind of, have connected classrooms and or uh, a kind of strong uh, technological kind of intention for parents who were who naturally saw alignment there um why do you think parents see alignment i mean do actually let me rephrase that 
Do you think that parents today realize that the world is changing, that the gig economy and technology is coming, that their kids might not have, you know, uh, a lifetime job? Um, and do, are they looking for something that's different? Or, or are parents really stuck in, still in the mindset of, I need to get good grades, go to college to get a, a job for life? Yeah, I think some are, and and that's really our market. Uh, Seth Godin talks a lot about, you know, this idea that you don't have to be everything to everyone, or you really shouldn't be. And in fact, you at some point need to figure out who you are, draw a line in the sand, and know that if you do what you think, if you do what do what you think is best for um, the mission, vision, and values of the school that you're trying to create and just do it really well and the rest will follow. So the, the, the kind of marketing will be in how your classrooms actually operate on a day-to-day basis. It will tell its own story. Uh, I fully agree with that. I, I often, we often say our, your product is your marketing and your product is uh, the education you provide to your students. Um, so, so if I asked, yes. say, say you were hired at your school today and they hadn't gone through this whole process and they didn't have uh, technology and one-to-one learning as a core of their identity. Uh, how would you go about suggesting uh, differentiating the brand? Yeah, I think I, w- I would start with the why. I, if the why isn't compelling to both internal constituents, i.e. the teachers, and resonating with the outside, then then you have to really dig into it and so and 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 make and kind of uh, build a burning platform to, uh, upon which to to kind of start creating your change and so i think i would start with a look to both the economy that we are now kind of surrounded by uh the extent to which um the world beyond the walls of K-12 education, how it is enabled, uh, and the literacy that's required to, you know, both safely and uh, efficiently navigate it. Painting a picture of all of those pieces and the skills required to uh, exist in it uh, speaks to a, a different kind of education, um, one in which intentional uh or intentionality is applied to the way that these tools are both um, or need some sort of scaffolding because they all require some skills in order to operate, but also the the much broader sense of literacy that exists now in order to be able to navigate. And I think when you pull apart even just this idea of literacy, both, you know, with respect to tools and you know, connectivity, or you want to call it 21st century literacy broadly, but then you've got financial literacy, then you've got traditional literacy with book, and you've got science, you've got design, you've got engineering, like uh, the, I guess the broad uh, kind of awareness of just how many skills are required to, to exist in the world today, I think it just goes well beyond what a traditional education can, can uh, d- deliver. And so when, when, when kind of uh, laid out like that, it's hard not to go, oh, yes, you're right. <laughs> These skills 
and these tools are so important, if only to just stat it to keep up, not even, you know, leap forward, you know, and get progressive, but really just to to safely and easily navigate where we are now. I think if you put that together and bundle that, then it's it's quite uh, an easy uh, kind of um, proposition to swallow, or 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 not yeah. want to turn away from. And, and yeah, so I guess if you really dig deep in that and, and like try and explore the why, it, you get a rally of all the, the teachers and the staff around this imperative. And I think, and we'll get to that in a second. It's the kind of work you do with Grant, uh, Grant Lichtman, our, our common friend who, who's also been on the, on the podcast. Um, and so you really kind of define and flesh out that why. And it, again, we get to the strategic change accelerator in a second, but what should a small school who's starting out do after that? So they, they do a series of, you know, um, kind of meetups or offsites. They, they, potentially with, with you guys or with someone to help them through that thought process. And they get to a point where they really understand and they want to, to you know, create this new value proposition that, that, that helps kids um, get really prepared for the future that we have in front of us. Then what do they do after that when they have that in place? Yeah, so as you move from the why to the how, which is really, as you just mentioned, what the strategic change accelerator is all about, you, you start mapping what the how might look like and, and connecting some goals to it. So I think if I were starting from scratch here, then if the school doesn't already have leadership in this area, it needs it. Um, then investment on some level is important. So where does this leadership sit? It may already sit, sit in the leadership team. And then so on some level, there'll have to be some kind of committee or or kind of uh, distributed uh, leadership for the vision because vision is important here. Where are we going and how broad or how deep will we go with our, our goals? Um, or it may sit with a kind of um, someone on in the organizational chart who's going to be charged with this. So leadership is important, and that will look different for every school, but it must be established. I think the school schools who just end up buying things uh, but then try to be everything to all people, having a foot in every platform but never deciding on one, they end up trying – they end up in a very kind of watered-down uh, I guess, program, in my opinion, where those who have an understanding of this space and who have a sense of where everything is going, you have to, you have to make some decisions around what will your, your core platforms and tools be. Because it's when you can start bringing in the, the borders, so to speak, or kind of saying, this is what we are and, and this is what we aren't. Then you can start establishing some skills and some internal capacity around them because that's what really people want. They, they want confidence that you the school knows where, where it's going. Not everyone will always agree on those things because we have so much choice, but a school has to make a decision. And I'm a firm believer that once you make that decision, all platforms and tools can do the job, whether it be Google or Microsoft or Apple, all of them are excellent, but you just need to choose them and kind of um, 
be confident and really try to mine the value that exists within them to do what you want to do. And I think leadership, both infrastructurally, but also pedagogically. So those are two aspects of leading and learning with technology that need to be addressed uh, as well. You know, they, there is what, what's the classroom experience that you're after the learning experience? What does that look like? Sound like, feel like, but then also what are the underlying infrastructural kind of pieces that need to be put in place to ensure that that experience is even possible? Because Without one, the other doesn't happen. In order to maybe give an example to the listeners, like make it a bit more concrete, can you maybe talk a bit about uh, the Strategic Change Accelerator and the work you do there? And, and maybe, you know, without really naming names, unless you want to give an actual example, but you can talk about a, um, a, sp- a specific school, an example school in your mind that, that you know, that came through the accelerator and what happened and what the impact was and how they changed. Yeah, so that's a great one. So the Strategic uh, Change Accelerator combines some of the work that uh, John Cotter uh, and his kind of uh, change acceleration framework um, uh, has brought to the kind of business community. And what we've done is uh, used it and contextualized it for school use just changed some of the language and also um, the way that we have kind of fleshed out some of the pieces, uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with that work. And we've also taken some of the work that Grant's done in his book and and some of the um, other really interesting work from Harvard and, uh, and just kind of business thinking around how change um, and um, change around change management and, and, and project management. So, yeah, one great example would be a school that was trying to bring blended learning into their value proposition to the extent that they wanted uh, that they had been more of a traditional school and they wanted to have blended learning be a part of their classroom and educational experience so that the school day and the learning never stopped. And so they wanted that because they felt that this was a reality for many students when they went to university. And so they wanted uh, all students to be able to experience that. So they felt prepared, but then also they were playing with time and space and other aspects of their timetable. And so they wanted to free some of that time up. And so they saw technology as a way of doing that. If learning could happen outside of the kind of formal classroom setting and, or students, uh, could be bundled and matched with teachers in, um, in a way that didn't necessarily have to put them into, you know, for, in the same room for 90 minutes and that that could be managed in different ways. And they saw a really interesting opportunity to both redefine who they were as a school, but also what they were offering. And so there was three pieces of that. One, did the, stru- the infrastructure of the school support that kind of um, that kind of long-term goal and vision. So we're talking about bandwidth. We're talking about switches. We're talking about access points. We're talking about coverage. We're talking about platforms and where would the LMS would sit and what would the LMS be. And and then we're getting into PD. So how much capacity is there currently? 
on staff to even teach like this. So, and if it was or wasn't there, how are they going to both steward it and enable it and grow it and then develop their own set of best practices that then helped guide the future? And then there was a, a measurement component. How are we going to measure? How are we going to both uh, get a sense of how this impact, how is this new way of teaching um, being taken up? both by and for the parents and the students and the teachers. How are we going to use that in a constant kind of feedback process to help improve the school, but also take the temperature of how um, the program is going? There was a leadership piece to this, which is about charting milestones and reporting back. So now you want to bring into the conversation admissions and advancement because you're going to want those two engines to constantly be able to look back on the stories and the experiences being generated and few and use those if to excite a prospective parent, but then also uh, excite an existing parent who may want to support the school in some way to help even broaden uh, these pieces for independent schools, especially and those, are, those that's kind of who we've been working with for in the accelerator, you know, they're solely tuition driven so or funded and so they do look to uh you know outside or or advancement uh strategies and obviously generosity to help uh, fuel and fund other pieces of the program um and then finally you then you look down you're okay the line and then you want to start adjusting the performance uh, the growth and evaluation model of your school to the extent that it now addresses the new normal. So uh, what are our expectations for teaching at our school? What are, what are the baseline pedagogies that we expect that as we shift down this road become non-negotiable? So that goes into HR. Now we're starting to hire differently. We're starting to look for different skills uh, to uh, occupy the, the kind of teaching role. And also we're going to have to adopt a constant learning uh, cycle that sees our professional development minutes being spent in some of this, in this, some of this time. We're also going to have to probably hire both for leadership um, at the higher levels, but also coaching and integration. If bring in people who have experience with this to help guide, mentor, coach, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so that 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 uh, the school is investing in support, embedded support for their faculty. So our change acceleration uh, model had this school look at their change map. It's it's a fun process, but we've kind of got them to a place where they have all these new lenses through which they have to look at their change project. And then we have them map it all out in a big long piece of paper that they roll out with sticky notes, and they're taking. They've got their start and they've got their end, and their end may be a three or five or ten year horizon. But they want, uh, they're meant to kind of map out all of the kind of milestones uh, that would, if successfully implemented, would represent movement forward and the, the kind of change being realized. And then along the way, all the bits and pieces, all the grant likes to talk about the school ecosystem all of the components of the ecosystem that have to contribute to the, the realization uh, of the goal um, because schools are very complicated organisms and they, it's so easy to come up with a change and aspire to have a change that ultimately um, 
contributes to your school's you know value proposition in the market or uh, increases enrollment. But realizing that change is a very, very uh, it, uh, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of stakeholders involved, and it's 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 not uh, as simple as a few Saturday you know PD days and um, some newsletters. And what do you think uh, blocks a lot of schools from embarking on a change program? Because I think one thing most of the listeners would would agree to is that some change or a lot of change is needed in their school, uh, but they're busy uh, with daily management, they're underwater, uh, daily management of the school. And it's hard for us to start... um, so a change program. Yeah, I think one of the one of the wonderful things about schools in that in their cycles is that they're they they renew themselves every year, and so there's this fresh sense of optimism and mm-hmm. you know newness about every September. And that cycle is wonderful for energy and reju- rejuvenation. You've got your summers. It also it, it kind of uh, contributes to uh, almost like a um, a a short term one year cycle mentality where every year must be something new uh especially around pd and there's almost a sense that like once the year's over then everything was completed um and i think a brave school or a school that really ends up you know implementing change well doesn't lose sight of the long-term stewardship required on some of these big things. So it would maybe take three or four years and not take the foot off the gas. And so I think, I think schools that do it well steward the big stuff intentionally and have someone or a few people with an eye to this kind of much bigger picture, which is, okay, if we're going to add this new thing because all of a sudden it becomes important to us, then we have to recognize that there's a trade-off. And let's not forget about this thing that had already been started. And while it might not be shiny and new anymore, if we really still believe in it, it's almost a, it's in the second and third year that we still have to kind of keep momentum and 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 figure out new ways to revisit the why again. Stuff this stuff takes a long time, especially when it when it when you're talking about changing classroom culture or you know changing wellness or um, uh, teaching and learning practices which aren't widely understood or or kind of currently in place. The technology piece, I I think. Uh, that just fuels all this. It should be invisible if, if really done well. It asks, it it helps enable students connecting with students and other people and places and whatever that may be in lots of cool and interesting and new ways. Uh, but as the partnerships piece expands, I think uh, another aspect could be you know the parents and in, in that community and or the working world and the uh, extent to which students now can be exposed to jobs that uh, they, you know, 10 years ago didn't exist, five years ago didn't exist. And so 
painting a, a wonderful picture uh, of opportunity for students today, I think is a is a really important um, job for schools because you know the doctor, lawyer, uh, and scientist aren't the only jobs out there uh, anymore, and good schools will help students see themselves in a whole bunch of opportunities. Linking this back to school growth, which is a central theme of, of this, this podcast, you know, if, if you are able to innovate on uh, your product, your offering, as we we're saying at the start, this will uh, you know, bring inter- more interest from a certain segment of the market that realizes that the innovation in education is necessary for their, their children. What kind of, you mentioned at some point that there are certain types of pedagogies that are going to become non-negotiable. Do you, maybe, and this this would be my last question, do you think there are some non-negotiable elements of how a school is going to look like in the future that we should all start driving towards right away? Yeah, you know, I think that idea of, all the information and the kind of um, the so that the learning isn't just for those who happen to be in school that day. So, you know, when I went to school, when you went to school, if you missed a day of school, well, you got the notes, so to speak, from someone, but there was really no other aspect to connect to the learning. It was just a lost day. So if we just start there, that as a non-negotiable, at least at our school and those who kind of have learning management systems in place, I think look at that very differently, that they, uh, that they are interested in stewarding and also supporting the learner, knowing that that ebb and flow of the school year will have students be missing class for all kinds of reasons, whether it be service learning, sports, athletics, co-curriculars, whatever. And so the learning doesn't have to happen in that class time, and it's not a lost time. So students can go back, replay, watch, contribute on their own time. And so time is just reimagined, and it is not solely contained within learning time isn't solely contained within the timetable. Um, that would be one non-negotiable. Number two would be a general literacy around technology and tools is now the the non-negotiable of, a, I think, a 21st century teacher. So those literacies, if you're not comfortable with them because of depending on when you were born and how old you are, that's okay, but I think the the mindset you have to adopt and is that that is the and is the non negotiable is one of continuous learning that these tools connections and platforms are all now easily available and understandable. you just have to commit to wanting to learn them, and so those schools will provide support and schools will um, invest in professional development, but the teacher has to come to the table with uh, a growth mindset and a willingness to ask questions, seek help and drive towards, uh, you know, mm. not, if not, not, not mastery, but at least competency. Yeah. Very, very interesting. As a, as a last 
point if if for school leaders who are convinced and want to start you know start the type of work that you guys do with uh, the change accelerator right now on cohort 21 uh, what are some resources that you can point them to and i will add links to cohort 21 to the strategic change accelerator website everything in in the show notes i did notice that uh, your programs are are open to u.s schools they maybe Canadian schools would be preferred, but they are, they are open. So aside from those or in addition to those, what else? Um, how should schools interested to learn more? Uh, where should they go? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I mean, COVID-21 is just a learning community founded on principles of openness, sharing, and a commitment to, uh, you know, continuous improvement. So I think all educators aspire to that um and so our model is not uh, proprietary it's just we we recognize that at least within our province we didn't share enough and so we just decided that that wasn't good enough and so we created a community to to help solve that problem so i think we just there's so much written about learning communities or you know, PLNs or PLCs or, or whatever you want to to kind of found your thinking around, um, we created one. And that on a, on a smaller scale it can exist in any school that I think that's probably some of the best PD you can do is create opportunities for your staff to share. Uh, what Core 21 does is seeks to bring together those who have a little bit extra bandwidth and have a little bit extra energy that they're willing to go through a year-long process of, you know, professional growth and, and improvement because uh, they're opting in. And so it's a bit of a lab for like what professional development can look like because you're, everyone's there because they want to be. And we have a, because it's a cohort, we have a cap on it. So, and I guess a, a pretty good kind of conference-wide understanding of kind of what you're getting into. So that isn't necessarily reproducible in a school. You have to kind of temper that a little bit. But the core, you know, tenets of sharing and and kind of um, and openness are, I think, just great, great pieces. Whether it be small cohorts or learning labs or you know sharing protocols that you embed into things, um, that is a, a. It's just a. I think. Um, Schools who do PD well recognize that they have a lot more value in their own institutions, and they don't mine it. And you know, they they and they mine it um, intentionally, as opposed to always thinking that you have to go out um, to get it. I think I, that is something that I would uh, encourage everyone to do: is see your staff as untapped. And just through some really great design thinking or sharing protocols, you can unlock that. And everyone on staff has something uh, unique and worth worth sharing. On the on the strategic change front, that yeah, that is open to uh, any uh, any independent school, NAIS or CAIS in North America and internationally, really. Um, I think a lot of um, listeners will now be. Uh, 
uh, ready to, to you know look more into these uh, into these uh, questions. I'm going to link up to everything. And uh, again, thanks thanks for your for your thoughts today. Have a great day. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to School Growth Mastery, brought to you by Enrollhand. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe to our show and share this episode with your fellow educators. You can support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. That way, more school leaders like you will find us. If you want to learn more about school growth, visit our website at enrollhand.com and please do check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, goodbye for now.